You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12s. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast. I'm your host, Corbin Smith, alongside Rob Rang. Happy Blue Friday to each and every one of you. Got another jam-packed show on tap. To open up today's Friday podcast, we're going to scan out the playoff field right now. And thanks to the playoff machine now launching on ESPN, we can figure out where Seattle stands with the rest of the NFC contenders. In the second quarter, it's an off week, so we're going to answer your questions in a Friday Locked On Seahawks mailbag segment. And then in the third quarter, it's time for a game. We've got a bit of what's the word coming your way as we assess each positional group for the Seahawks during their bye week. Now for your lead story here on Locked On Seahawks. Rob, I'm going to admit, I have an unhealthy addiction to the ESPN playoff machine, and it usually comes out around week 10 or week 11. Well, it has officially arrived, and of course, I have been plugging away at that a good portion of the afternoon, probably way more than I should be, but it's just so much fun to start looking at how things are going to unfold based on what other teams do in the NFC, and of course, what the Seahawks do, and this is a very crowded NFC field right now. Oh, it is a crowded AFC field, which is why one of the reasons why I think that, that Seattle is very much in play to continue to win and to earn the number one seed. Uh, you know, that's one of the things I've been kind of surprised by in the last com- conversations that you know we have with with, with you and then with Nick uh, the last, yeah, well, certainly yesterday and, and previously that you know just kind of uh, assuming that, that Seattle is going to be winding up with one of these wild card seeds. So I, I'm eager to look ahead to what the teams that are you know are currently ranked above Seattle. You know, the 49ers are eight and one, which Seattle beat. The the Packers are eight and two, uh the same record as the Seahawks. The Saints at seven and two, which do obviously own a tiebreaker over Seattle, but just lost to the Atlanta Falcons in New Orleans. Uh, and, and then the Dallas Cowboys sitting there in the four seed right now at five and four. So Seattle eight and two. I, that, that's one of the reasons I'm eager to kind of break down what we think may happen here with the, as you said, the ESPN playoff picture. So I want to start off kind of going off what you were just talking about here, because looking at those records, Seattle right now has the third best record in the NFC, but because San Francisco has the best record, they are still a wildcard team. And it's kind of, it reminds me, I think this was either 2012 or 2013, the Arizona Cardinals went 11 and five and they missed the playoffs that year. So you never know year after year what's going to happen. Sometimes you'll have nine win teams that get a wild card, and sometimes an 11 win team somehow misses out. This is a very low field but Seattle is certainly in a prime position if they can continue winning the 49ers we've talked about this countless times on the show they've got a brutal schedule coming up they play the Cardinals this weekend which that's a winnable game but after that they play the Packers the Ravens and the Saints in back-to-back-to-back games so this creates an opportunity where San Francisco could lose a couple of those games to really good opponents and if Seattle can continue to rattle off wins they have the tiebreaker right now over the 49ers. They could move into first place in the NFC West and with the record they've got right now if they could get to 10 and 2, 11 and 2 then they potentially can play themselves into home field advantage throughout the playoffs. I think based on what I've looked at on the playoff machine, though, with this many teams that are 8-1, and 8-2, and two, even the Minnesota Vikings at 7-3, and three, they are alive in the 
NFC North division. That's a team that Seattle's going to have to play here in a few weeks as well. I think you've got to get to 13 wins to get the number one seed minimum, maybe even 14 the teams they've got in front of them. I think they're going to have to get that far as far as the win totals go to get that first seed. 13 would probably be the number I'd roll with. And I think 12 wins minimum to be able to get that second seed. Some of these teams are going to beat up on each other a little bit here over the next several weeks, and that's going to help the Seahawks if they can continue winning games. Obviously, if they have a slip-up or two, they do have that tiebreaker loss to the Saints. That could have an impact on their seeding. And, of course, they play the 49ers again in Week 17. They've got a game against the Eagles coming up. The Eagles are very much still in the hunt to get a playoff spot. And the L.A. Rams, they've struggled, but they're still somewhat alive. And it's a team that could, at minimum, they could spoil things for other teams that are in the race as well. So it's definitely feasible they can get to that one or two seed. But the big key, you've got to win games. They can't just coast these last last six games or they're not going to be the number one or two seed. Oh, no question. If they try and coast, yeah, they're they're in real trouble. This is a team that's won three games in a row. Uh, you know the, the team that they last lost to is the Baltimore Ravens, which, in my opinion, have been as as much of a, a big story in the NFL as any team uh, to this point. Um, you know, as you're, as you're saying, Corbin, I mean, there, there's six games remaining in Seattle's schedule. So if if they are able just to go, you know, three and three, I think that they assure themselves of a playoff spot. If they're able to go four and two or five and one, and this is a formidable schedule. You're talking about, obviously, a week from now at Philadelphia, then you host Minnesota, then you're at the L.A. Rams, then you're at Carolina, then you host Arizona, and then you host San Francisco. I think that Seattle can can reasonably go 3-3, three and 4-2, three, and two, and I'm not conceding anything. I think they can absolutely go 6-0 and oh against that schedule. And I, I see some other teams out there that play every bit as formidable of schedules and don't have an MVP caliber quarterback. They don't have a defense that is ascending. You know, I, I think that there is that this is essentially sounds like a Seahawks commercial right now. I think that Pete Carroll is basically saying, can you win the first quarter, second quarter, third quarter? But you know you can win in the fourth quarter, and that's what Seattle is kind of geared to do. This is an ascending team, again, uh, and a club that I think that is, is certainly in the top three consideration and possibly can be right there at number one seed in the NFC. It'll be interesting to see how this plays out with so many good teams. It's so different than the AFC. It's so top-heavy in the NFC. And then you got a lot of really bad teams at the bottom. But as the Falcons proved this past weekend, you can still lose to a team like that that has a really bad record in the NFC. So maybe there will be a few slip-ups for the 49ers or the Packers or the Saints could cough up another loss. I mean, you never know in the NFL. Every week getting a win is difficult. But let's assume that the Seahawks do go three and three these last six games. As I just mentioned, I think if you, if they get to eleven and five, I'm not going to sit here and completely rule out that they could win the NFC West. That would mean the 49ers would have to lose four of their last six. But that's not impossible given the teams they're going to be playing. I think it's unlikely, but not impossible. I think eleven and five is probably going to get you a wild card. So if they go three and three and they're at eleven and five. They're probably going to be the number five seed. A lot of that bearing on what they do against the Minnesota Vikings in that head-to-head matchup. If they're a wild card and they're the five seed right now, it looks pretty clear who they're going to be playing. The Dallas Cowboys or Philadelphia Eagles right now are two full games behind the Saints, the number three team 
Obviously, they could either one of those teams could get red hot here and finish the year with 11 wins, 10 wins, whatever, and be a team you don't want to play in the playoffs. But that is going to be the lowest-seeded division winner. The NFC East is the weakest division of the four divisions. So Seattle would likely be playing either the Cowboys or Eagles. If they somehow drop to a sixth seed, if Minnesota ended up with a better record or some other team emerges uh, from the pack, now you have to play one of the other three Goliaths in the first round. you got to play the 49ers, Packers, or Saints, depending on how that order shakes out. So all those teams are legitimate. The Cowboys and Eagles are teams that can beat anybody any given Sunday, but you'd probably prefer the NFC East winner over those other three teams. So if you're going to get a wild card, you want that five seed this year. No, I I agree with you. I mean, typically you, you do want the the better seed in the wild card race. Uh, I think this is a, a prime example of that because, as you mentioned, the Dallas Cowboys, Philadelphia Eagles are currently um, tied atop the NFC East, or as some are calling it, the NFC Least. Um, you know, I had five and four, and that's two game difference between the New Orleans Saints, currently the number three seed, as the NFC South division leaders. Um, but again, as you mentioned, with the, the Saints losing to the Atlanta Falcons, you know. A, a, a bottom basement team at this point. Um, any given Sunday, teams are going to lose. Uh, so I, I'm fascinated to see what's going to happen in the NFC East the rest of the way. Uh, I, I do have some concerns about how Seattle matches up with, with Dallas and Philadelphia. It's going to make next week's uh, game in against the Eagles, um, you know, critical for for Seattle. Um, this, this is an Eagles team that, that still has a dominant defensive line, and, and once they get their running game going, I'm curious to see how Jay Ajayi adjusts to uh, coming back to Philadelphia. Carson Wentz, to me, is still a spectacular quarterback. Um, Zach Ertz, we've seen the way the, the Seahawks have, have struggled at times against the tight ends. And to me, this is a team in the Eagles that if they just get a little bit more consistency from the wide receiver position, and they likely will soon once Alshon Jeffrey comes back, then that's still a very formidable team. And we all know what the Dallas Cowboys can do. Seattle knows better than most after last year losing the playoffs in Dallas. So, to me, though, those are formidable matchups, and so Seattle has to not worry about what's coming ahead in potential playoff scenarios. They have to win every single game in the regular season they possibly can and not have to go on the road. They have been undefeated on the road this year, which is obviously very encouraging, but I think if, they, if given their choice, they would like to have the 12s in their background. They would love to have a home game. They have not lost a home playoff game in the Pete Carroll era. They would love to be at CenturyLink, even if they've lost two games there this year. They would love to get in the playoffs with a home game, which means they need to win the division. So whatever the record is, they need to come up with a better record than the 49ers, and it's going to come down to a lot of common opponents between the two of them down the stretch. Which team can finish stronger? That's the team that's going to win the division, and obviously a lot of other really good teams in the conference vying for those top couple seeds in the NFC. Away creates thoughtful products designed to change how you see the world. For $20 off a suitcase, visit awaytravel.com slash locked on and use promo code locked Locked on during checkout. Listening on the go? If you can't visit away right now, you can find this and all of their offers from Locked On sponsors at LockedOnPodcast.com slash offers. When we come back, we'll be answering your questions in our Friday mailbag segment. Don't go away. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Before we move forward, let's talk about sex. Good sex. Remember the days when you were always ready to go and you could increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed? Listen up. BlueChew.com. That's blue like the color blue. BlueChew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis so you know they work. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. 
and since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill, so you can be ready whenever an opportunity arises. Now, this isn't just for guys who can't perform, it's for any guy who wants extra function to enhance their performance in the bedroom. Blue Chew is prescribed online and ships straight to your door in a discreet package, so no in-person doctor's visit, no waiting in the pharmacy, and best of all, no more awkwardness. They're made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than a pharmacy. Right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free when you use our special promo code Locked On. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-Chew.com. Promo code Locked On to try for free. BlueChew is the better, cheaper, faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. Welcome back, 12s. Glad to have you listening to Locked On Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith, along with Rob Rang. I know it's Friday and we normally do other stuff, but with it being a bye week, we decided to mix in a second Q&A session here on Locked On Seahawks. So let's get to it. Our first question coming from Arthur writes, Off the top of your head, how many NFL teams do you think would be upgrading by bringing Colin Kaepernick in? Upgraded? Five. You know, I mean, I, I'm not a big Colin Kaepernick fan. I wasn't for the last several years. I think that, uh, you know, that he is a dynamic athlete. He is a guy that has among, I assume, at least when he left the NFL a couple of years ago, had among the best fastballs in all of the NFL. He never could throw with much touch. Um, and that's critical in today's NFL. It's one of the reasons why the 49ers lost the Seahawks on the NFC Championship game. If he throws that ball, Michael Crabtree, in the corner of the end zone with a little bit more touch, then, then it may be the 49ers going to the Super Bowl that year. But he never showed that, not in San Francisco, not previously in his college ball at, at Nevada. Uh, I think that he helps a lot of teams, but a significant upgrade among a starting caliber NFL quarterback? No, I think that you have all the, all, all the conspiracy theories you want. If Colin Kaepernick was viewed by NFL general managers as a winning quarterback in the NFL regardless of scheme, then he would be on an NFL roster at this point. See, I, I have a differing opinion on this, and I don't want to dig into the conspiracy theories on it, but I've always been a much bigger fan of Kaepernick than you. I actually really loved what I saw from Colin Kaepernick at Nevada. I thought he did a lot of really great things for the 49ers. The, the issue here is the amount of time that he's been away from the game now. I mean, we're almost to three full seasons he has not played in an NFL game. He's 32 years old now, and I'm not going to sit here and say he can't run anymore because I'm sure he's still athletic, but, I mean, he's he's not a young pup anymore, and that was really a big strength in his game was his mobility, the ability to run away from people, scramble. I don't know how much he's going to bring to the table with that now. As far as how many teams could be upgraded, right now I'm going to say zero, and the reason I'm going to say that is because it's week 11. You're not going to be bringing this guy in in the middle of the season. And, I mean, obviously if a team had a bunch of injuries, that's one thing. But there were already quarterback injuries earlier this year, and he still didn't get a call. I think at this stage of the season, I'll, I'll change my answer to one. I watched them play last night. <laughs> I think the Pittsburgh Steelers, Colin Kaepernick, would be a really nice addition for them. Uh, not just because well, I don't think he would get a helmet thrown at him and hit his head. But anyway, I certainly think that Kaepernick could help them out right now, given their quarterback situation. Um, there are a couple other teams. I think he's got more talent than the quarterbacks that they have. But again, sure. 
you have to account for the fact it's week 11. You're you're not going to be bringing... That's why this whole thing, to me, just seems like a horse and pony show. And I feel bad for the player because he's in a situation where, well, if I don't go because I realize what this really is, then people are going to say, oh, but you don't want to play. Clearly, you don't want to play in the NFL. So it just seems like it's a you-can't-win situation if you're Colin Kaepernick. And if it was the start of the season or before training camp and he was getting a chance to do this, I'd have a much different answer to this question. But in week 11, I just just can't see him coming in and really helping anybody right now. Second question coming from Jeremy writes, what are your thoughts on Miles Garrett and what happened last night? Oh, well, I kind of already touched on this the last question a little bit, but Rob, what did you think when you saw this unfold? You know, Miles Garrett, it, it's just, it's such a disappointing decision. I mean, I, I get, you get caught up in the moment. I understand that. Um, he's such a phenomenal talent. We're talking about all pro player, number one overall player for the Cleveland Browns and I don't see how you cannot suspend him for at least a year maybe the rest of this year maybe all of next year I I, I could I think you can make an argument that he never plays another down in the NFL and it breaks my heart to say that but you, you simply cannot have a player use a helmet the way he did as a weapon and so I I, I I'm still staggered by what happened um, and, and and hope that there's some type of resolution that can come through because I think that this was a, a split-second decision on his part that is an, unfortunately going to just mire what was a, a promising career. And, and you know, I, I just am, I still am, am floored by it, but I don't know how you move on from this. I, frankly, I, I want to see some leadership from the NFL um, because I think that this is one of your brightest young stars and you have to be able to come to grips with this, what happened, and, and it was as ugly as it gets. Unfortunately, again, Garrett said this last night, and this was out of character, something along those lines. And I'm starting to wonder if that's really the case, though. I mean, he threw a punch at a guy earlier this year, uh, Delaney Walker, and Walker has a tendency to get mouthy. So I guess you can kind of understand why somebody would think about doing that, but then actually doing it. That's the real issue with last night. You know, maybe that comes across your mind when Mason Rudolph starts charging at you. But I mean, it's Mason Rudolph. What's he going to do to you? You're Miles Garrett. You're 275, 280 pounds. He's he's Mason Rudolph. He, he's not, I mean, he might get in your face and scream at you or whatnot, but he's not going to be taking you or anything. So, you know, I, I could understand the self-defense if he, like, shoved him or something, but like you said, what he did is completely inexcusable, and I'm not going to go as far as saying, you know, he should never play again. I, I don't think I'm in that particular ballpark, but... I could see him being suspended the rest of this year, as reports have indicated, and maybe even part of next year, a portion of it. I figure that's probably not going to be what they're going to do here, but they've got to send a message, though, because you can't have stuff like this happening, especially on a nationally televised game like that, where a lot of young people are watching. Uh, You don't want to send the message that this is okay, and I think it's clearly evident by how reaction has been that, that it's not okay, but still... You want to send the right message with how you punish him, and at least for the rest of the season, he shouldn't be wearing an NFL uniform. AM writes, how would you score Bradley McDougal's play this season? It seems like he's been having a pretty rough year due to the lack of confidence in the free safety situation. Well, I think that he's, Bradley McDougal has struggled with injuries a little bit. Uh, I think that, that he is a... He, he's not an elite athlete. When you, when you look at the rest of the safeties throughout the NFL, uh, you know most of them run faster, most, most of them jump higher. He is a, a very savvy defender. Um, and, and so 
you know, I, I think that when you have the inconsistency that Seattle has had at the uh, at the other safety spot because he's bounced around a little bit, um, as well as the cornerback spot, then I think it's easy to make him look that much more uh, inconsistent. And and so to me, I, I you know, if I was to give him a grade, I would say probably a B minus. But at the same time, I I don't see Bradley McDougal as being uh, you know a true difference maker. I see him as being kind of that that crafty left hander if i was to mix my sports analogies is, is just a guy who um you know kind of is the glue to the back half of your defense and has played pretty well considering some of the inconsistencies around him but at the same time i've never expected him to be a superstar i thought frankly last year that was about as good as as, as bradley mcdougall is ever going to perform uh for an nfl team i think he I mean, you know i don't know if i want to say he's had a rough year because you're right about the injuries he's been banged up a little bit he hasn't had much stability at the other safety positions around him he looked totally different, though, having Quandre Diggs playing the free safety position. He easily played his best game against the 49ers Monday night. He was smacking people. He was very active, moving all over the field. He looked more athletic than I've ever seen him. I mean, the way he was moving sideline to sideline, I was like, that's Bradley McDougal? I mean, he, he was flying all over the place, just playing with much more confidence knowing that. So I do think there's been a little bit of an issue with that lack of confidence and who's playing next to him. And, you know, Marquise Blair has a ton of upside, but I think Pete Carroll's kind of hinted at this without saying it word for word that, you know, there's some things that he's done out there that that concern them a little bit from an assignment standpoint. They're hoping that Quandre Diggs isn't going to have those issues because he's a very instinctive veteran that's played. He started at three different positions, very savvy. So you now have two safeties that bring really high football IQs and Diggs is extremely athletic to go with it. So those two guys really complement each other well. And I think as long as they can both stay healthy, that's going to be a much better duo than what they've had at this point. And Marquise Blair down the road is going to be one of their starters. There's no question in my mind. Jack Burton writes, what caused Puna Ford to return to his explosive self? Was he injured this year? Well, I, I mean, I, that I'm not privy to. I mean, maybe he has struggled with injuries more than what you know we, we reported in the media and been hearing about from that regard. I, I think that, again, I think Seattle's defense is ascending. I, I think that Jadavion Clowney, uh, I think that Jaron Reed, Quentin Jefferson coming back, I think all those things contributed to Puna Ford and the rest of Seattle's defense, frankly, having one of their more impressive uh, games of, of the entire season. I think that you are, are seeing the return to the physicality um, that that was the, the main characteristic of, of the, the championship defenses that Seattle's had over the years. I mean, remember, it was the Legion of Boom, you know, and, and that it was the physicality. Uh, not only in the in the secondary, but the linebacker and the defensive line as well. And I thought that we saw the very first indication that Seattle could return to that um, against the 49ers. And I think that's, again, one of the reasons why I am as optimistic as I am that, that the best football that Seattle is going to play this year is still in the future. He had a calf injury at the beginning of the season. He actually missed the game in Pittsburgh. So I've got to wonder if he was playing at well below 100% there for several weeks. But that looked like the Puna 4 that I was accustomed to watching last year late in the season. I don't know what it is about the 49ers, too. He loves playing the 49ers. His best games last year were both against San Francisco. And he just went out there and totally ripped their offensive line apart again on Monday night. So it's obviously a great sign that he's looking the way that he did. And as long as he continues to play at that level with Jaron Reed getting back into his own, 
We know what Jadevian Clowney can do. If they can get one other guy to really step up, it'd be nice to see it be Ziggy Anza, but we'll have to wait and see how that plays out the last six games. But this defensive line could go from really struggling the first eight or nine games to becoming a very formidable force down the stretch, which makes this team very dangerous. Sixth question here coming from Darren Toy. Honestly, who is better right now, Rasheem Green or Ziggy Anza? That's an interesting question. Uh, I think that, um, you know, Ziggy Ansah, of course, has the track record. R- Rasheem Green is the young pup that he is. Uh, you know, you're, you're kind of gambling on his upside. Uh, you know, I, I think they're very similar players in that what they do best is that their length and their strength, neither one of them is as explosive up the field as a guy like Shaquem Griffin. Uh, you know, I, and, and that's – there's a lot of people out there that if you don't get sacks and they think that you're not doing your job, I, I think that that's a little – I think that's a little ridiculous. Uh, um, you know, especially considering the mobile quarterbacks in today's NFL and how quickly quarterbacks get the ball out of their hands, um, that I think that it's every bit as important to be able to have the strength to hold up the point of attack, be able to shed blockers, get to the running back, um, be able to get your ha- hands up. Uh, both of these players that we mentioned, Rasheem Green and Ziggy Ansa, both are 34-plus-inch arms. They should be able to tip some passes for you, um, and that's going to create easy turnover opportunities. So I, I think that you know th- they're both playing about the same level at this point. I think there's reason to believe that Ziggy Ansah is also going to be able to turn it on a little bit. He also has struggled with injuries early in the early in this season. But Rasheem Green, I mean, there's there's a reason why I viewed him as a top 50 player a couple of years ago when Seattle drafted him, and and I still believe that that he is going to prove to be that. What I'm most intrigued by with both of them is that they both do still have a knack for making big plays at critical moments. And so again, I, I keep saying this ascending thing. I, I really do believe that, that Seattle has, has some opponents there they have terrific quarterbacks moving forward we don't necessarily have the offensive lines and i think you're going to see more pressures applied by all these defensive linemen clowning and uh, or excuse me ansa and uh and rasheem green as well as griffin uh all of them making their their presence known I would honestly say Rasheem Green has maybe just been slightly better in the games he's played, although he also had a season low for snaps against the 49ers too. The presence of Shaquem Griffin getting those 14 snaps impacted both these players, and maybe it was just a one-game thing, but as I've talked about a few times since Monday's game, uh, it sounds like Pete Carroll wants to mix Shaquem Griffin in more in those second-and-long, third-and-long situations to let his speed Uh, be be a presence off the edge for this team. They desperately needed somebody like that, and you're not going to get that from Rasheem Green and Ziggy Anza. Both those guys have decent bursts for their size when they're right, but they can't fly like Shaquem Griffin can, but he doesn't have the size that those two guys have either, so he's not a full-time defensive end either. So there's still a lot of upside for Green. He's still only 22 years old. He's a pup. Ziggy Anza is still coming back from the injury at below 260 pounds. So there's a lot of different things going on there at play. Maybe during this bye week, as Nick Lee pointed out yesterday, maybe Ziggy Anza was able to get a hold of some Dick's Burgers and he'll come back ready to go. <laughs> but uh, we'll just have to wait and see. Peloton is offering a limited time offer. Get $100 off accessories when you purchase the Peloton bike and get a great cardio workout at home. Go to OnePeloton.com and use promo code LOCKED to get started. When we come back from the break, Rob and I are going to play a game. We're going to do what's the word. We're going to assess every positional group for the Seahawks. Each of us is going to come up with one word to describe that positional group and then a real quick assessment. You won't want to miss it. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. 
Welcome back to the Locked On Seahawks podcast. I'm your host, Corbin Smith, alongside Rob Rang. We're going to play a game here to close out our bye week. And I know it's not the midway point of the season, Rob, but really this is what teams assess as their midway point as we've reached our bye, especially when it is around the middle of the season. And since the Seahawks get their bye on week 11, it's fitting that we go back and look at all the positional groups for the Seahawks. And we're going to have a little fun with this. Instead of just giving grades and chatting back and forth about what we think about each positional group, I'm going to step it up a little bit here with a game of what's the word and how this is going to work is I will give the positional group and then you are going to dish out one word and it doesn't have to be something that's in the dictionary that's the the great thing about this we can make stuff up and sound like we're smart and so you get to pick a word to describe that positional group through the first 10 games of the season a brief assessment and then I'll share my word assessment and grade and then we'll go to the next position so are you ready to roll I am So let's start with quarterback Russell Wilson. Obviously, he's had a sensational first half of the season here, but what word would you use to describe his performance through 10 games? Exquisite. And it's it's a word I've heard Pete Carroll use a little bit this year, and not always when he's referring to Russell Wilson. But I think that's the that's the word that describes the the likely MVP. If the vote was being made right now, I think that Russell Wilson is your MVP. That the numbers speak for themselves. The the, the eye popping plays speak for themselves. Seattle's record speaks for itself. Exquisite would be the word I would use to describe the quarterback play uh, for Russell Wilson, as well as a couple of uh, a couple of, of, of overtime, uh, you know, play calls, or I should say, th- uh, coin, coin flips. Tosses. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> coin tosses uh, by the backup quarterback Geno Smith as well. I'm going to go with unparalleled as my word because I just feel like right now he's kind of on his own planet compared to the rest of the quarterbacks in the NFL. Leads the league with 23 touchdowns, just two interceptions on the entire season, 114.9 passer rating. We've seen the the spryness from him out of the backfield. I just think he looks more explosive than he did the last couple of years running the football. And obviously he's so smart about picking when to do that and getting down to avoid big hits. And so to me, he's just in a different zip code right now, unparalleled to the other quarterbacks out there. And I agree with you right now, he is the clear front runner. If they were voting today and he didn't win, that would be a huge upset. He is the MVP. He's the most irreplaceable player on any team in the NFL right now. Let's go to the backfield now. Running back, Chris Carson, Penny and company. What word would you use to describe the running back group? Inspirational. I think the, the way that Chris Carson runs, uh, I think that he just inspires confidence with just the physicality. Uh, I, I, Rashad Penny, you see flashes of why Seattle took him in the late portion of the first round, why I know that there's several other clubs that had first-round grades on the guy because you know he can make those plays that just turn your head. And it's like, wow, that's a, that's a guy who's six foot, 230 pounds, or excuse me, 5'11", 230 pounds, that, that is showing legitimate 4'4", bursts uh, and, and that's just so rare um you know and, and so uh, to me that that is the biggest reason as well as cj pro size and little flashes we've seen from him to me he's in can make the argument inspirational from just a resiliency standpoint not only pro sizes but the seahawks and sticking with him all this time so to me inspirational is the word i would use to describe seattle's running back core so uh, I'm. this is going to be a negative connotation, but it's both positive and negative. I'm going to say reckless. And in football, that can be a good thing when you're running the football. Because when you watch Chris Carson and 
company run the ball. When he's running through defenders, just trucking over guys, he's running with reckless abandon. But I also think the word fits because none of these guys can hang on to the darn football this year. Carson's had a bunch of fumbles. Rashad Penny had a huge fumble the other day against the 49ers. Didn't have another carry the rest of the game. So that put him into the doghouse, at least for that night. And so this is a group that they run recklessly, and sometimes that's a good thing. But man, they've got to shore up the ball security as well. We know Carson can run through guys, and he's one of the best running backs in football, but ball security has been a real problem for him. Rashad Penny has actually done okay in that category. Now it seems like it's kind of become contagious, those fumbles, and the entire team has been plagued by it, but especially the running back group. So that's both a positive and negative. I like the reckless abandon they run with, but hold on to the football for crying out loud. Wide receiver, swinging to the receivers now. Rob, what word would you use for the receiving group? For wide receivers, my word is a little different one. It's flex. And what I mean by that is, of course, you have two of the most physically imposing wide receivers in all of the NFL, and the rookie DK Metcalf and, and the recently acquired Josh Gordon. It, it's also the flex in terms of what Malik Turner has shown in, in his unique, you know, kind of what, what he has demonstrated. David Moore as well, both of them after the catch. And then, of course, Tyler Lockett. Not only is he flexing that he is among the NFL's elite wide receivers, but I want to see that calf muscle flex a little bit and just make sure that he is healthy going the rest of the way. So uh, flex, to me, um, is the word to describe the Seattle wide receiver core. So I decided to make up my own word for the first time here, and this is in memory of Doug Baldwin. Hope you're doing well, Doug. I'm going to say that this group is pedestrianistic. And I just remember Chris Carter back in the day saying this was a pedestrian receiving core, and yet they went out and every week they performed. Russell Wilson was able to get the football to him, And to an extent, I feel like this group, yes, DK Metcalf has been an emerging rookie star. Tyler Lockett, the league, is respecting him much more than what it did last year with the numbers he's putting up. But I still feel like you see all these comments out there like, Russell Wilson doesn't have anybody to throw to. I mean, he's got a pretty darn good trio of receivers now with Josh Gordon being there. And even when he just had Metcalf and Lockett, that's a pretty darn good one-two punch. Obviously losing Baldwin in retirement, Disley getting hurt. They've had to roll with some reserves. Jacob Hollister has been really good the last few games. And Russell Wilson just keeps dialing it up. But to me, this is a group that is still viewed pedestrian by a lot of different people. And I don't get it. I think this is certainly a group that... They've got guys like Malik Turner that are showing signs of life too. So maybe give the team credit for being able to develop some players at that position. Just a little bit would be nice. I know it's a run-heavy football team, but this is a much better group than advertised all the way around. Let's go to tight end now. A much different group than the receiver position. Obviously, they've had some injuries. What word would you use to describe the tight end group? Versatile. I mean, I just see the the versatility that they had with with Will Disley, with with George Fant as kind of more run blockers, and then of course, uh, you know, Disley proved himself to be so much more than that. Uh, you know, prior to going down with the injury, of course, what um, you know, Jacob Hollister has provided the team here in the last couple of games in terms of his ability to flex out wide and and essentially be a big wide receiver. Um, you know, Luke Wilson, and, and then we'll see what Ed. Did. I mean, to me, what what's kind of fun about the tight end group is is more than any other position group on, on Seattle's entire roster, in my opinion. This is essentially a Baskin Robbins pick your own flavor, depending on the matchup. Um, and, and so that's, I think it's going to be a lot of fun the way that Seattle is able to kind of use their tight ends moving forward. 
I'm hungry now. Dang it, Rob. All right, <laughs> I, I'm going to use – this is going to be an interesting word to use because they've had injuries at the position, so it might not make sense at first, but I'm actually going to say shatterproof. And the yeah. reason that I'm using that word is it just seems like it doesn't matter what happens there. You lose Will Disley, and Luke Wilson has been banged up the last couple of games with a couple of different injuries, and yet they just keep performing at that position, whether George Fant's coming in to block as that extra tight end or Hollister with 17 catches the last four games. Ed Dixon's going to be coming back this week, most likely. And he's a guy that gave them some good snaps last year, a good veteran presence. It, it just They've got Tyrone Swoops on the practice squad, who they have confidence in if they had to bring him up. So so this is just, it's a resilient group that has been able to overcome everything. And to me, it's, it's just a group that continues to be solid no matter what happens to different players. So to me, it's been a shatterproof group. Now let's look at the offensive line as a whole. What word would you use to describe the O-line? Underrated. I think the Seattle's offensive line, you know, the, the national story is that, oh, you know, the, the Seahawks have never had an offensive lineman who could block since Walter Jones retired. And that's, you know, I mean, I, I have a great deal of respect for the Hall of Fame Walter Jones. But at the same time, Seattle's offensive line has performed pretty well. There's a reason why they are yet again uh, among the NFL's best in running the football. And it's not all because they're running backs and, and Russell Wilson's you know infrequent scrambles. There's a reason why that, that Russell Wilson is an MVP caliber player. And I think not only am I going to say underrated for the entire offensive line, one that has struggled with injuries at times, and yet their backups have played surprisingly well, at least in the opinion of some, surprisingly well. But Jermaine Effetti's specifically to hear how much he gets blasted by those in the national media who clearly don't watch any football games. Effetti is the most improved of Seattle's offensive linemen this year, and it's not even close. Um, and so I, it, it makes me laugh when I hear people kind of criticize him because they're just proving how little Seahawks football you're actually watching. I'm going to use the word operative, and some people might say that that's negative, but it's not. I'm saying that this is a serviceable group, and if you've seen the offensive line for the Seahawks in most of Pete Carroll's time with the team, they would three or four years ago, if you could have given them a serviceable offensive line, I think they would have thrown a party. I mean, they just the, the offensive line was one of the worst in the league for several years in a row. So this is not an elite group. It's not a top five, top ten offensive line, but it is not a bottom ten offensive line either. So I've seen pro football focus gives some really low grades I think they are better than pro football focus grades them out to be I think they're a mid-level offensive line with the talent they've got at the skill positions and obviously Russell Wilson back there that's more than good enough especially since their strength is still run blocking which is what this offense is built around they want to be a balanced offense they could run the ball and that's not going to be changing as long as Pete Carroll's there so I think operative is the perfect word and I like that you mentioned a Fetty as well because I've talked about it multiple times on our show that he's a guy that I don't understand why he gets blasted. Now, when he tried to return that fumble the other night, he absolutely deserved (laughs) to be ripped on that. But as far as actually doing what he's supposed to do job-wise, I think he's had a really nice fourth season for them. So they're serviceable, they're operative, and that's more than good enough with the other weapons they've got on this on this offensive side of the football. Let's swing to defense now. The defensive line, it's been kind of an an odd year for that defensive line. What word did you use to sum up their performance through 10 weeks? 
This is going to sound pretty optimistic, but I've been optimistic about Seattle's defense, especially the defensive line, all year long. And I think that, again, they are coming into their own at the right time. So I'm going to use the word blossoming. Um, you know, I, Again, I, I really believe that you're just starting to see Jadavion Clowney, in my opinion, is starting to scratch the surface of his potential in Seattle's scheme. Uh, I think that the same thing could be said, not obviously to the same level, but about guys like Rasheem Green, like Shaquem Griffin, like LJ Collier. Like, like Quentin Jefferson, like Puna Ford. I mean, all these are young. And then, of course, the, the most productive player of all of them, Jaron Reed. You know, to me, this is a team that their defensive line is just starting to get going. Um, and I'm very intrigued to see where it goes. I mean, it, it could, the blossoming thing could come like with a like an early winter frost, you know, in, in Seattle. And it could kill everything. I think that this is absolutely the area of the team that, that could be its downfall. But at the same time, I also think there's a possibility that that this is winds up being one of the team's strengths when everybody else nationally thinks it's a weakness i'm gonna call the defensive line vexatious they've been a (laughs) they've been a bit vexing this year they've been annoying and the reason i'm going to use that word is because i know there's a ton of talent on that line and there's been all kinds of excuses, which early on really weren't excuses. Genevieve Clowney's got to get used to this scheme. Ziggy Hans is coming back from a shoulder surgery. Jaron Reed was suspended for six games. Puna Ford may have been battling through a calf injury. There's all kinds of things that were going on. But yet the first nine games of the season, the defensive line was struggling mightily for the most part. And they, you'd see some flashes like, oh, you can see Genevieve Clowney get close to the quarterback. And you can see Jaron Reed starting to figure things out coming off suspension. But couldn't put it together until Monday night when they finally did and seeing that that just come together hopefully we'll start to see some consistency from a good standpoint in the last six games of the season I'm with you that I'm optimistic with the pieces they've got there everybody's starting to gel that that group is going to play better more consistently but uh, through the first 10 games they've certainly been frustrating to say the least with the inconsistent performance especially rushing the passer Now we're going to swing to the mid-level of the defense, a linebacker group headlined by Bobby Wagner, K.J. Wright, and Michael Kendricks. How would you sum up the linebacking group? One word, Rob. Steady. Uh, you know, I, I think that it has not been spectacular, and I thought that it would be with a returning All-Pro and NFL Defensive Player of the Year candidate and Bobby Wagner. I don't think that this has been his best season, but at the same time, I don't think that the game has passed him by, as some have suggested. Same thing with KJ Wright, Michael Kendricks. They, they've been some pretty solid plays. There, there's been a couple of dropped interceptions and things of that nature, um, but I think steady. I, I think the fact that the Seattle has relied on its base four-three defense, keeping all three linebackers on the field more than just about any other team in the NFL kind of speaks to the steadiness of their linebacking core. I'm just going to use the word predictable here because I expected that this was going to be one of the stronger positional groups of the Seahawks. And while maybe they haven't been quite as good as I thought they might be going to the year, Michael Kendricks has one of the highest missed tackle rates in the NFL, for example. He's had some issues getting guys to the ground, especially running backs out in space catching the football. That has surprised me a little bit. But he's also brought a lot of energy to their defense. K.J. Wright's done some good things, obviously some missed opportunities in coverage that dropped uh, interception the other night. He's still got to be kicking himself about that. That's one that none of his teammates are going to be letting down anytime soon. But Bobby Wagner is still one of the league leaders in tackles. I don't. The game has definitely not passed him by. I think he's had to play a lot more coverage, and he's had different responsibilities this year given the type of defense that they're playing. But he is still a tackling machine, still a phenomenal linebacker. So this group has predictably been one of the better ones for the Seahawks. Now swinging to the secondary, we'll start with corners here. 
Shaquille Griffin, Trey Flowers and company. What word would you use to sum up Seattle's corners? I, mean, I got a little creative with this. One. I'm going to say sports center. And I, I think that it's both good and bad from a Seahawks perspective. I mean, obviously they've been torched at times in terms of just pure passing yards, uh, you know, and, and so sports center sometimes highlights for, for the, the opposition. Um, but at the same time, I've also seen some spectacular plays, uh, you know, and Trey flowers with his length, um, he can make plays that, that, you know, Seattle cornerbacks in the past with similar size, the, the Richard Sherman's, the, the Brandon Browners, you know, the, the, all those different corners that have made Seattle so good. Uh, you know, he has that ability. And then Shaquille Griffin, I mean, just the, the play that essentially won the game against the 49ers, at least put Seattle in position to win the game uh, on the deep third down ball. And, and his ability to catch up because he is beaten off the top of that route, um, but just use that elite speed um, and that elite uh, ball skills to be able to get up and, and knock that pass away. I, I, you know, Jamar Taylor, you know, is the primary nickel corner at this point. He has made uh, or has been victimized at times. Um, and, and, but again, I, I think that he has played better than, than maybe some are giving him credit for just because the fact that the NFL is all about slot receivers anymore. There's very few teams who have um, a, a Pro Bowl caliber, caliber nickel corner, which Seattle had a year ago, in my opinion, in Justin Coleman. Um, but so that, I would use Sports Center again, both, both positive and negative for the Seahawks in their, in their cornerback group. I decided to make up a word for this one because to me there's a lot of positives and like you were just mentioning a lot of negatives too. For me the biggest issue is depth. So I'm calling this group Thintastic. I, I've been really <laughs> impressed with Shaquille Griffin all year. I think he's playing at a Pro Bowl, potentially a all-pro level. That play that he made, you just mentioned a moment ago, on that deep ball, the ability to recover and, and make a play on that football, that's the growth that this kid has made from year two to year three. He's just had an outstanding third season for the Seahawks. And I think Trey Flowers has done some really nice things too. That corner blitz that he got a sack on Garoppolo the other night. He got his first pick a few weeks back. He's a player that's a very physical corner, being a former safety that will deck people, has done a lot of nice things. He's had a little more bumps in the road, but he's still just in his second year playing the position. You're seeing improvement from him. But I'm concerned about the depth behind those guys still with Akeem King and Nico Thorpe as the other outside corners. And uh, Jamar Taylor, you mentioned it. Maybe he hasn't been as bad as what some people are letting on, but he has had some struggles. And Jimmy Garoppolo was going after him on Monday night, and a lot of other quarterbacks have. So there's been plenty of questions about maybe making a change there. Uh, with Quandre Diggs playing so well, the free safety spot, though, I, I don't see him playing that nickel corner position. Maybe down the road, Ugo Amadi gets another chance, but right now, that's his spot. I just think it's a secondary that's got two very promising guys that are headlining at the corners in Shaquille Griffin and Trey Flowers, and then a very large drop-off after that. So, fantastic's the word I'm going with here. Now let's swing to the safety group. Rob, what word are you using for the other pair of players in Seattle's secondary? Well, I'm using the word evolving because it's more than a pair. You know, the fact that, that Seattle has, has used as many safety combinations as they, as they have. Um, you know, Marquise Blair, uh, I'll jump off the rookie, of course, me with the, the you know, always the, always looking towards draft in the, in the younger players. Evolving because he's played both positions. Um, Bradley McDougal as well. Um, you know, Quandre Diggs with his versatility. Um, Tedrick Thompson, I mean, and he's 
evolving player in his own right, both good and bad. Um, a guy who makes some big plays in practice and obviously has made a couple of amazing plays for the Seahawks, um, you know, this season, but also has had, you know, his issues as well. So e- evolving is the, is the term I would use to describe Seattle's safety position. We're thinking along the same lines. I'm going to use metamorphosis as my word because this is a group that has just constantly been changing all year long as far as what the Seahawks are able to do with their safeties because all of these guys have different strengths and weaknesses. Marquise Blair is an incredible hitter, but there's concerns. Is he going to be a Simon Sound? Is he going to be somebody that can, that can take bait? For example, there were concerns about that, and they still have some issues with that with the rookie. Then you bring in a guy like Quandre Diggs that you traded for that brings a lot of versatility. He's coming off a hamstring injury, uh, unsure where he's going to fit in, and now they've got him playing free safety. Bradley McDougal's been moving all over the place, so it's just been a long it's been a long phase of metamorphosis trying to put together the right safety combination. We've only seen it for one game, but right now the Diggs McDougal grouping looks like it may be the best pair that they've had this entire season. So that's great news going into the last six games of the season that it looks like they maybe finally have found that perfect solution for what they're looking for and that's not to say it's a legion of boom caliber safety group but certainly it's a group that gives them a lot more flexibility the experience the football iqs that they're going to have other two guys that can hit people too so they're excited about where they're at with that safety group and now they've got good depth there with marquise blair being a guy that can play both positions real quick closing this out special teamers the specialist group what word would you use to describe the specialist group well, I've tried to be as optimistic as possible with most of these groups, but you know, special teams to me, the word is disappointing. I mean, you know, you have a you have a returning reigning All Pro with the punter that hasn't had the the, the same sophomore season he has as a freshman with Michael Dixon, um, you know, and, and then Jason Myers he, he gets the, the the big deal, and, and while he certainly is coming off his most impressive game against the 49ers, I mean, he has not been as accurate as I was as I thought that he might be, considering that he was a Pro Bowler uh, a year ago for the New York Jets, and, and then in the return game, I. I thought that given the speed, given the playmaking ability of Tyler Lockett, of Rashad Penny, of, of Ugo Amadi, um, uh, the other players that I thought that Seattle would be featuring in the return game, both as a punt and kick returner, I thought that there would be some more big plays in that regard. So disappointing to me is the word that you have to at least consider for the special teams unit. I went with humdrum. It's been pretty mediocre. Uh, to say the least. Jason Myers has been very up and down. They're hoping he'll build off this game against the 49ers. I do feel like Michael Dixon has been punting a lot better the last three or four games. He's looked a lot more like the guy that got an all-pro uh, distinction last year. So that's a good sign for the Seahawks. His punts are booming off his foot better. He's he's more accurate. He's pinning people back. So he's had some really nice punts recently, but it has been a somewhat disappointing season from him. So kind of mediocre. And then the return game, I just, I haven't been impressed with how they've handled that because Tyler Lockett's your number one receiver. And I just, I have a fear about having him back there trying to return punts and kicks. Not that he returns many anyway. Most kickoffs, they're just taking touchbacks anyway. It's kind of become a forgotten uh, kind of worthless play for the most part. But uh, punt returns, he's back there too. I really hope they were going to have somebody else back there that could handle duties, and yet they keep throwing Lockett out there. So that's been kind of disappointing to me. So really humdrum is the right way to put it. Just been pretty mediocre. Make sure to follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. If you'd like to be a featured sponsor on the Locked On Seahawks podcast, make sure to contact me, LockSeahawks at gmail.com. If you haven't already,
already, subscribe to our show, please. iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, whatever your preferred podcast platform is, go to our website, LockedOnSeahawks.com. When we return on Monday, things are going to start returning to normalcy here. We will start previewing the upcoming matchup against the Philadelphia Eagles. Of course, another mailbag segment on Monday and much more coming your way. Enjoy your weekend. Go Hawks.